Well, grab your Bibles, whatever you'll be reading God's Word with, and make your way again to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 16 this morning. We're going to be wrapping up this chapter and the teaching which Jesus has previously touched on earlier in this Gospel. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so what we're going to see here this morning is Jesus is going to take that teaching that he's already presented, and he's going to elaborate or expand on it even more so. And it all ties into what has transpired within this chapter. Two of the main events are Peter has confessed the identity of Jesus Christ being the son of the living God. And then he immediately turns around and rebukes Jesus when Jesus says that he must go to Jerusalem and the members of the Sanhedrin are going to put him to death, but he'll rise on the third day. And this is all tied in to those two main events. In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to lay out the meaning of what it is to be one of his disciples. And as you can see behind me, the title for the message this morning is Carrying One's uh, one's Cross. There are five implications we're going to look at this morning. Jesus is teaching us with this passage, along with a passage out of the Gospel of Mark, is also found in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we'll get into that. Let's begin in verse 24. When Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom." And as I mentioned, you can find this same passage in the Gospel of Mark. You can find in the Gospel of Luke. There's some additions and subtractions between the Gospels, but we'll bring out what Mark and Luke put into this little passage here that Matthew seems to omit. Luke says, as well as Mark, that Jesus isn't just talking to his disciples at the moment. He's actually referring to a crowd, individuals who have been following him, and he's laying down this instruction, all right, this is what it's going to look like. To follow me. This is what it's going to take to follow me, to be my disciple. So he uses this metaphor of the cross, and it's an individual cross. It's a personal cross. And your cross is not the same as my cross. Jesus says he must take up his cross. And so all of us have a cross to bear. Some of them may be heavier and some of them may be lighter, but we're all called to carry the cross So we need to know what in the world does that mean? What is Jesus implying here? Well, the first thing we can see in verse 24 is the cross is self-denial. Philippians tells us that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He gave us the ultimate model of what it is to carry one's cross. Jesus didn't live his life thinking about self-preservation He came here and lived his life as he was thinking about others. And when it comes to taking up our cross, it means we must deny ourselves for the sake of the kingdom. We think of other people's needs over our own. This is why we really define what ministry is. 
As we pour into other people's lives, we think of their needs and what they need. We use our time, we use our resources, we use our energy, we use our money, and we just pour in to other people's lives. Taking up the cross is meant to be difficult. It's meant to be time-consuming. Again, that's ministry. The word deny there in verse 24 means to renounce or refuse from the Greek So the calling of taking up our cross means we refuse our own desires. Instead, we seek the desires of God. And so with this aspect of taking up the cross, we come to the realization, hey, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about Harvest Hill. It's about him who took up the ultimate cross for the sins of the world. And so in denying ourselves, we aren't seeking glory for us. We aren't seeking glory or recognition for Harvest Hill. We're seeking to glorify the Father that he would be recognized through everything we do. We are continually pointing people to Jesus when we take up our cross. One of the greatest compliments I got when I came back to the Lord at the age of 20, it was, happened over a Christmas break. At SBU, they have a thing called Jan Term. What Jan Term is, it's about a six-week period of time where you can do an entire class in. Well, it was my first year at SBU, and so if I don't go to Jan term, that means I did an eight-week Christmas break, and that sounded amazing as a 20-year-old. And so I went home, and I went back to my old job. At the age of 14, I started working at a grocery store. And if you just graduated from high school, I just want to give you a heads up, you're going to be poor in college. It's going to happen. You're going to love it when your parents visit, or you get to go home and they do your laundry. So I was poor. I went home. I started working again at this grocery store. And it was in Illinois. And if you don't know much about Illinois in December and January, it snows in Illinois in December and January. They don't get ice like we do here in southwest Missouri. And so I was at the store, and it started snowing. And I started noticing things are beginning to accumulate, and people were pulling into the parking lot. Now, the parking lot's a lot like Harvest Hills parking lot. If you notice, when you pull into Harvest Hills parking lot, it kind of slants towards the building, Right? And so the, the parking lot of this grocery store, it slanted towards the building. And as the snow started accumulating on the parking lot, I began seeing cars pulling in. And it was just like a ski resort with cars. They were just sliding closer to the building. And as people were trying to get out of their cars and walk into the grocery store to buy groceries, they began slipping and sliding. So I went to our assistant manager that, that evening. And I said, do we have a shovel? Now, I just got to give you a heads up. I love shoveling snow as much as I love mowing grass, okay? And that's none at whatsoever. But I asked her, do we have a shovel? She pointed me to one. No one else wanted to go outside. It was freezing cold. So I went and bundled up, went out, and I shoveled a parking lot. It took me hours shoveling this parking lot. I came back in. She told me I'd go to the break room and warm up a little bit before coming back to work. I did so for about 10 minutes, came back down and said, is there anything else that needs to be done? And here's the compliment that came. She looked at me. She had known me since the age of 14. And she says, there's something different about you. And I don't know what it was. Now I was still growing in my relationship with God. It was a perfect opportunity for me to share my faith with her. But I remember just saying, well, something had to be done. And someone had to do it. Basically, I saw a need and I answered it. I didn't like snoveling the show, <coughs> shoveling the snow. <laughs> I didn't like how cold it was outside. But I saw a need that customers had, and so I took action. I thought of someone else 
before myself. That's ministry. It doesn't just have to happen in the church. It happens in your places of work, the places you gather. You see a need, and you deny yourself, and you step into that need to fill it. This last winter, we had a big snowstorm as well. I was out shoveling snow our driveway. Neighbors came out, our, our neighbor gentleman, and he starts shoveling snow as well. And, I, and you got to know that he and his wife have a lot of health issues. As much as I hate shoveling snow, I went over to his driveway and I shoveled it. And Jamie joked around and said, I think you shoveled theirs better than ours. But I saw a need. He thanked me. And I said, we're neighbors. That's what neighbors are for. By the way, God loves you. If you need anything else, just let me know. Self-denial. Carrying our cross in self-denial is a great way to open the door to share the gospel. Because people of this world don't understand it. It's not about our agenda. It's not about our time. It's not about our resources. It's not about our desires or our energy. It's looking at others and seeing, how can I minister to them? How can I take time out of my day to show them the love of God? Second thing we see in our passage is the cross is the way of discipleship. This is what is being spoken of when Jesus says, follow me. That's what's being implied, discipleship. To follow Jesus is to be discipled by Jesus. It's to learn how he lived his life through the word of God and then doing our very best as God's people to imitate that. It's something that Peter was having to learn. This is why Jesus had to rebuke Peter. Peter tried to take the lead and Jesus had to tell Peter, get behind me. You're not in charge here. You're not the teacher here. You're still learning. You're being discipled. And the reason discipleship is attached to the cross is because it isn't always going to be easy. If you're growing in discipleship or you've yet to start growing in discipleship, let me just give you a heads up. There are going to be growing pains. There are going to be things that are going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be things that God's going to tell us that we don't want to hear but realize that when he's telling us it's truth, it's for our benefit. And so some things are going to have to change. We're going to have to come to an understanding of things in our life that we may have to stop doing. There are things in our life we may have to start doing. In other words, we've got to put them to death sometimes. We've got to put them on the cross. When I came back to the Lord again at the age of 20, one thing that impressed, God impressed upon my heart when I was actually beginning to study his word is that I had to break ties with my high school buddies. I shared my testimony last week. If you weren't here last week, I'll, I'll get the podcast going this week. But when I went home, God impressed upon my heart through his word that I was not strong enough to hang out with them in the activities they were taking part in. I was not strong enough at that moment to say no. And so I had to take off my cross, and I had to follow Jesus. And I knew if I was going to follow him wholeheartedly, I was going to have to break ties well, I came back on spring break from SBU, and one of my friends called me up and said, hey, we, we, want, we want to get together with you. We want you to come out with us. We're, we're, we're just going to go to someone's house. We're not going to drink. We're not going to do any of that other stuff. We're just going to play some games. We're going to watch some movies. We're just going to hang out. Because I took up my cross, they changed their routines for that one particular night. Over the last 20 years, because I took up that cross, I mean, I've, I've, I've had some hurt feelings because I haven't been invited to some things. 
But over the last 20 years, I've had some of my friends who I never thought would come to Christ come to Christ. I've had some of my friends email me. One in particular emailed me because he's getting ready to get married. And so I did marriage counseling through email with him. I had another one of my friends who was having a difficult time with his kids. So he reached out to me through a phone call. I don't even know how he got my phone number. And he asked me to help him counseling through kids with his children. Another one of my friends was going for, through a very dark period of life, was thinking about suicide, and he called me up one night as I was sitting at a gas station, and I got to share with him the love of Christ. I got to help him through this period of time, and I, I praise the Lord he's still alive today. But that's discipleship. Discipleship is, is letting go of some things. It's growing in our relationship with God, and, and whatever's keeping us from that growth, we've got to let it go. And I knew at the age of 20, my friends were going to keep me from that growth. Third implication we see here in our passage is the cross is the purpose of God. That's the ultimate meaning of the cross. Jesus went to the cross to save people. To do that, he had to lose his life. That was his purpose for coming. It was told hundreds and thousands of years ago in the Old Testament through prophecies Matter of fact, when Jesus was born and the angels came and announced it to the shepherds, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That peace that Jesus brought was the fulfillment of the prophecy from the book of Isaiah. It's a peace with God. In other words, in Scripture, what that peace means is reconciliation. It's to bring us back into harmony with God. 2 Corinthians points out that Christ came to reconcile us to God, to bring us back into harmony with him, to bring us back into peace with him. This was the purpose of the cross. And our purpose of carrying the cross is the same, is to be living out God's purpose for our life. And one of those purposes that the Bible tells us is that now that we've been reconciled to God, we are to be ministers of reconciliation to others so they can also have peace with God. Carry the cross means we are seeking God's will. It's to be and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's to seek his will and his purpose. His will and his purpose is that all people would be saved. Sometimes God's purpose and God's will doesn't align with ours. That's why it's a cross. For everyone to be restored is God's will, to be reconciled be brought back into peace. God's purpose in order for that to happen is this, that we are now ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That's 2 Corinthians 5.20. This means that we're going to have to get out of our comfort zones at times. That's carrying our cross. This means we might get ridiculed. You might get made fun of. You might get left out because you're living for Christ. That's carrying our cross. It means we may have to give up some of our resources for the sake of the kingdom, even though we may want to spend it somewhere else or do something else with it, but that's carrying our cross. As God's people, our lives are to be aligned to the will and the purpose of God, which is going to be uncomfortable at times. That's carrying our cross. And why would we do that? Because... The next implication, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, and it's also found in the Gospel of Luke, the cross is not ashamed of Jesus. Mark 8.38 says, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. The word ashamed in the Greek is a verb that carries the meaning of guilt, remorse, or embarrassment. When I was in high school, I think I was a junior, I took a Spanish 2. I already took Spanish 1, I took Spanish 2. And one thing we had to do every single week in that class is we would get a vocabulary list. And we would have to write out some sort of story using those vocab words plus other Spanish words that we use. Well, so happens that particular week, the vocabulary list in Spanish was hygiene words. And so I remember two words on that list in particular were soap and shower. Now, I was a teenage boy at the time, so I thought it'd be pretty funny to write a story from one prisoner's point of view about being in the shower with another prisoner, hoping not to drop the soap. And so I wrote this all out in Spanish. I didn't get, you know, vulgar or anything like that. I'd use certain words, but you got the, I mean, his, the whole time he's just worried about not dropping the soap, okay, because there's another guy there. Well, what our teacher also does, or did, is she would select certain students on certain weeks to deliver their story by reading in Spanish in front of the class. And it so happened that week, I got picked. So I get up in the class, I've got my paper, and at that point in time, I hated public speaking, so I know I was shaking reading my paper, and I had to read it all in Spanish. And as I was reading it, the class started erupting in hysterical laughter, and I thought, I have found my calling in life. I'm going to be a stand-up Spanish comedian. Because this, I am killing it right now. And so I'm going through this talking about, you know, the whole scene of being imprisoned. And, and I finish, and the class is laughing. There's kids with tears in their eyes. I go and hand the paper to the teacher, and she gave me a look. But I, I'm pretty sure she thought it was funny. And so I go back and sit down. And my, my buddy Trent sat right next to me. And so I said, man, was it really that funny? And he was still laughing. And he looked at me, he says, I have no idea what you said. All I know is you delivered that whole thing with your zipper down and your barn door was wide open. All right. I think, uh, Pastor Mike, what does that have to be about not being ashamed of Jesus? I find it Amazing that we're more willing to share stupid or embarrassing stories about ourselves more than we're willing to share about Christ. When we become ashamed of living or sharing the gospel, Scripture tells us we're actually embarrassed of the gospel. We're embarrassed of the very thing that saved us. That's what ashamed means. We're embarrassed of truth. The truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. I've been embarrassed about a lot of things in my life. I've had guilt and I've had regrets. There's been time I've been embarrassed of my actions and my words and my thoughts. But I'm never going to be embarrassed or ashamed of the gospel. Paul wrote to the Roman believers, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation 
for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, the, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Coming back here to Matthew, the final thing we see is that the cross is the way to the kingdom. It is through the work of the cross and the resurrected Lord that all people have now been given access to God's kingdom. And it's by carrying our cross that we make our way to the kingdom. Jesus speaks in such dramatic terms here about carrying the cross and following him, about denying ourselves, about losing ourselves, because he wants us to remember with great joy that he is going to return one day. When we carry our cross, we lose our identity, but then we find our identity in Christ. When we carry our cross, we show that we're not attached to this world because we're living for the eternal kingdom that is coming. First Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And hear this. Once, you were not a people. But now, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. The word Gentiles there that Peter uses is speaking of unbelievers. So you could read it, keep your conduct among unbelievers honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's carrying our cross. It's understanding we have a new identity. And therefore, we have a new attachment to God's eternal kingdom. And since we're attached to that kingdom, we point to that kingdom. And we don't serve the things of this world. When Jesus says to carry our personal crosses, he's telling us we have to make a choice. We have to decide if we truly want to follow him, we truly want to come after him, and we truly are awaiting his return. The return of Christ is going to be the full manifestation of God's glory. And one day we're going to be there watching it. Now in Jesus' day and context, the cross is used for criminals and slaves, revolutionaries, people who committed treason and enemies of the state. And so he's taking this metaphor, and the disciples would have understood this within the Roman world. And carrying our cross... Jesus is saying that we are now slaves to Christ and therefore slaves to righteousness because we have been bought with a heavy price. And carrying our cross, we reveal to this world that we're revolutionaries because revolutionaries denote dramatic change. And we have been changed. We are no longer dead in our sin and trespasses, but we are now alive in Christ. We're no longer enemies of God, but we're children of God and heirs to his kingdom. We are no longer in our sin, but we are saved and we're promised eternal life. And carrying our cross, we have committed treason because we are no longer attached to this country or this world. Again, going to Peter, we are now a holy nation, a people for his own possession. 
and carrying our cross. We're, in fact, enemies of the state and of this world because we no longer serve this world and its ideologies. We no longer serve this world's agendas. We serve the kingdom of God, and our allegiance is only to that kingdom. That's carrying our cross. Jesus would reveal the full meaning of carrying a cross when he did it literally. He picked up his cross. He carried it through the streets of Jerusalem as people mocked him. He went to a place called Golgotha, also known as the Mount of Skulls. They hung him on that cross. They ridiculed him even more. And they pierced his side to make sure that he was dead. They placed him in a tomb because he had finished the purpose and the work of God. He denied his identity, and he was unashamed to die for the sins of the world. This is why we call this the good news. God created you for a relationship with him. And it's your sin that is separating you from that relationship. We cannot do enough good things to remove our sin problem. But Jesus Christ came and paid the price. He carried his cross. He died on that cross. They placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later to show that he has the power over death and the authority to forgive sins. And the Bible says if we admit to God that we are a sinner and we believe in our heart that God loves us that much, we have to confess it. And so there may be someone here that is yet to make that step of faith. And God and the Holy Spirit are speaking to your heart that it's time to carry your cross and follow Jesus. If that's you, we're going to have a time of invitation. Nick's going to come up and lead us in the song. And I'm going to invite you to come down. You just have to say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. We'll pray together. We'll celebrate together. And the heavens will erupt. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you for giving us more of a calling than just sitting in church. But to be an imitation of you and to walk as you walk and to keep in step with the Spirit. And Father, I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would convict anyone who's here this morning who has not accepted you as their Lord and Savior. And they would come to a place of repentance and today would be the day of their salvation. But Lord, help us as your people to continue to carry our cross that we may be the light and salt of the world. That people may see how much you love them by how much we love you. Forgive us if we failed you in any way. We praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.